I'm Grim. I'm Zolgar. That's Kaiju. And this is Two Idiots and a Dog, Idiots on Film. Where we explore movies that we love. Or think are important for pop culture. This week we are talking about one of the greatest zombie comedies ever released. We did have a bit of an argument, but ultimately we decided on Zombieland. So we decided on Zombieland for multiple reasons. While it is not the greatest of the zombie movies by any stretch of the imagination, it is, however, one of my favorites, following very closely behind Shaun of the Dead. Zombieland kind of won out a little bit because it's slightly more recent than Shaun of the Dead. And it's got all the makings of a great kind of macabre comedy, which is what you need to have to survive the zombie apocalypse. Before we get into it, though, here is a word from our sponsor. Hey, Zolgar. We should start thinking about the future of Two Idiots and a Dog. We should. But that takes effort. And we are just a couple of idiots. We shouldn't be allowed to decide anything. I got a great idea. Let's sucker our listeners into doing the thinking for us. Okay. But how would that work? Simple listener survey that's so stupid it might just work if you like what we do we would love to hear your thoughts on the future of two idiots and a dog we've put together a listener survey less than 20 questions about the future of the project all questions are optional and we don't collect any personal information it should only take a few minutes of your time and you can help make two idiots and a dog better you can find a link to the survey in the description of this episode you can also find it on our social media pages and discord server so, before we get into this, we do need to cover one thing. Uh, being a zombie movie, this is a gorier film than the, any we have done so far this season. Yeah, gore is kind of the price of admission with zombie movies. On the scale of zombie films, though, this one's really pretty low on gore. It's not even as gory as, like, Walking Dead. Yeah, it's, it's relatively tame for a zombie movie. We're just mentioning this because it is a little more graphic than most of what we've done this season. Especially so far. Yeah. There is also one other thing we kind of need to address going in. Yeah, so while we both really enjoy this movie, on watching it again and kind of thinking of it as a... Thinking on it from a critical standpoint, we noticed a couple of kind of problematic aspects of it. There are uh, two main things which have not aged well, honestly. First, front and center is a recurring theme of fat shaming. Yeah. The, the, you know, the first place we see it is rule number one cardio now the rule itself is a good rule to have for the zombie apocalypse you want to have that cardio to be able to run away where the problem comes in is that to illustrate how cardio is important they proffer up the premise that larger people died first for finger quotes obvious reasons yeah and if if that were all of it we could kind of let the fat shaming go, but it comes up a couple more times with fat zombies later. 
Yeah. And the entire thing is predicated on a complete misnomer because I have known large people who move much faster than smaller people. So it's one, it's inaccurate. And two, it's just, it really is just harmful. Yeah. The other issue that really has not aged well with this film is there are serious tones of misogyny especially from our main character in Columbus. Yeah, it's mostly casual level, not women are inferior level, but it's little things like making assumptions about what other female characters are thinking or going to do. While he doesn't have the inherent sense of entitlement... You you can kind of smell incel from here. And that's not a good look. Now, when I say, I predicate this by pointing out that misogyny in general is harmful and bad. In this case, because it's coming from our narrator, the film is presenting it front and center. However, it's worth noting that Columbus doesn't act upon these ideas. He's just kind of thinking them to himself and therefore to us, the audience. He never says these things out loud to the female characters. Or even to Tallahassee. But it is still present because it's part of the narration, so it needed to be addressed. Yeah. So, now the one thing, so with the reference of fat shaming, we mentioned rule number one, cardio. And the rules are something that play a very important part in this movie. They are, uh, Columbus has his set of at the start of the movie, 30 rules. A 31st get added on him right away, and by the end, there's 32 rules. But they're basically his rules for surviving the zombie apocalypse. The big ones we learn are rule number one, cardio. Which, as we already discussed, good rule to have. Honestly, I could use more cardio myself. My legs are just not cooperative. Yeah, I've got about the endurance of a... Uh... Not very enduring thing. (laughs) Uh, Rule two is equally important, in my opinion. The double tap. Always make sure. Shoot the zombie again. Always. Because bullets are valuable. Though not so much in this world, because apparently they last forever. Until they don't. Until the plot says they don't. Yep. But your life is more valuable than a single bullet, so... If your only option is a bullet to the head, make sure that it is dead. Let's see. Rule number three was beware of bathrooms. Yep, because it's when we're most vulnerable. We're kind of stuck on that toilet until we're done. Which, interestingly enough, that's another rule that makes a lot of sense. If the things are smart enough to hunt, they're going to learn to hunt where humans are vulnerable. Yeah. There's a lot of other rules that we run into throughout the film. We never get to full list, though. Most of them are common sense ones, like the the first three. But some of them are a little more varied, uh, and we do see one rule get amended throughout the film. Uh, The two rules that we see get added whole cloth is... Check back seat. Check back seat because 
he jumps in a car and gets attacked by a zombie and survives, of course, because he was wearing his seatbelt. Rule number four. And then rule 32 is actually given to him by Tallahassee, which is you have to enjoy the little things. Yeah. The only other rules I think we see, there is rule 17, don't be a hero. Which is the one that later gets amended to be a hero, but of course only when the love interest is in danger. Yeah. And I think actually that's the only rules we see in the movie. I yeah. think the other rules have been either introduced in the sequel or were done as like promo things for the movie. But... Yeah. Uh, I know there's one about paper towels that was a promo. Um, but they are not incorporated into the body of this movie, so we don't actually see them over the course of this movie. And the adherence to these rules uh, contributes a lot to Tallahassee uh, and Columbus surviving. Tallahassee less so because he doesn't necessarily follow those rules. Um, Oh, we do get Limber Up. Yeah, we get Limber Up. I don't remember what number it was, but yeah, I think that's the only other rule we get. Do you see a lion Limber Up before it chases a gazelle? Yeah, Tallahassee is special, which I guess is a great segue for our characterizations here, because we've got Columbus, who is himself a self-admitted, socially awkward shut-in. He basically spent his entire life playing World of Warcraft. We've got Tallahassee, who is... Uh, yes. (laughs) Tallahassee seems like a completely unrealistic character set against a couple of other more realistic characters. Unless you've been to Tallahassee. And then he makes perfect sense. Yeah, Tallahassee is an interesting individual. He's, as the kids would say, extra. Just a little bit. And then we've got Wichita and Little Rock, who take the casual misogyny of the world and turn it on its head, even before the apocalypse kicked off. Basically, they scammed people to get by, and still do in the apocalypse. In fact, uh, they hit Columbus and Tallahassee twice. And... The thing is, though, while these are more caricatures than characters, they're still well-developed enough to be relatively representative of some of the real people you might encounter in the apocalypse. And the direction, camera angles, and acting are all well enough that we get some really good interactions. I mean... Our entire first interaction between Columbus and Tallahassee is entirely nonverbal as they run into each other on the road and are just kind of sizing each other up. Yeah, which, of course, that also just tells you so much about those two characters because Columbus is sitting there shaking in his boots but still keeping his gun on Tallahassee. And Tallahassee just, like, got his gun super casual and just like, what, are are you going to shoot me? Yeah, and... It's it's really good. And then as we're going through the movie and, and we're spending more time with these characters, we've got things like Columbus trying to find true depth in Tallahassee when there really isn't any. There is depth, don't get me wrong, but it's so shallow you could kick the dirt off it. Well, of course, there's also the, the fact that I mean, all these characters have the names of places. 
It's because Tallahassee insists on no names because with names, you're going to get too attached. And that's kind of a running gag in the movie because we only get one name in the entirety of the of the movie. Even before the apocalypse and like the little prologue flashback sequence we get with Columbus, his neighbor refers to him as 408 and he refers to her by her apartment number 406. So we in the confines of this movie, we actually don't know even our narrator's real name. By the end of it, we learn Wichita's name, Krista, because she whispers it into his ear after the climax of the film and he basically saves her. I mean, no basically about it. So the characterizations play in off of the character designs a little bit. Um, of course, Tallahassee is bright and loud in clothing and demeanor. Columbus is a little more reserved. Columbus is so bloody white bread, it's not even funny. He is... If you have ever been on an American college campus, you have seen Columbus. It's just that simple. Yeah. Uh, Wichita and Little Rock are a little more varied, but not by much. Uh, Little Rock is very definitely... A little more on the grungier side of a 12-year-old, but and by that I mean like grunge style, not she's filthy. Um, you know, she, I believe when we first see her, she's got like a little bit of flannel on and, and everything. And then we've got uh, Wichita, who is kind of rocking the mall rat, not quite hot topic, but next door maybe look. Yeah. T-shirt, dark colored T-shirt. Um, you know, standard uh, pants, you know, nothing too out of the ordinary or too extreme. Things that would be comfortable but durable and still let her basically use her feminine wiles because that's how she got by. It was scamming people by being a pretty face. And again, it works. We couldn't talk about the characterizations and the character designs without mentioning one very important factoid, uh, specifically about Tallahassee. Man, it's f***ing obsessed with Twinkies. Seriously obsessed. I kind of find myself wondering how much Hostess paid for that. He spends the whole movie trying to find some Twinkies. And it's actually funny because there is a scene where they find a Hostess truck and he opens it up and a bunch of snowballs fall out. And he's furious about it. But there's actually a bit of a goof there. It was not supposed to be that, but there were Twinkies in that truck. From a certain camera angle, you can actually see a box of Twinkies behind the door he didn't open. Which honestly just makes the encounter even more hilarious with the with the gaff in there, honestly. It does. It, it makes it so much better because that goes from it being... Not quite tragic that there's no Twinkies there to hilarious because he's too stupid and pissed off because there's no Twinkies to notice that there are Twinkies. Yeah, it's it's hilarious to me. And that's where a lot of this, this uh, the alchemy of this movie comes from is we've got these very serious moments and very serious situation. I mean, it's the zombie apocalypse. And you've got these just absolutely comedic moments 
where you've got this grown man throwing a hissy fit because there are no Twinkies. And on the one hand, you can kind of get it because like in the middle of the apocalypse, if you can't find your favorite comfort junk food, that's just going to add to your stress a little bit because it's like society has crumbled. Survival is a toss up every day and you can't even have a, a GD Twinkie. I'd probably be a little stressed, too. Yeah, he's... And we have established that he is special, so... Yeah. And that kind of just kicks us off into our actual story, because, believe it or not, there is a story to be told here. Wait, there's a story? Yeah, there's a story. Lies. And it's... Primarily, uh, as we follow these four characters and their interactions with each other, um, mostly it's a little bit of found family banter peppered over, oh no, zombies, kill them. And there are certain tropes and themes that end up coming up that are still realistic, but, I mean, they're still kind of tropey. Uh, I mean, we've got the exploitative roadside attraction based on kitschy appropriation of native themes. Who hasn't wanted to go eight and destroy one of those? Mood. And we've got a lot of really amazing action sequences, mostly involving Tallahassee. Mostly. Mostly. We did, however, have the best zombie kill of the movie. Zombie kill of the week. None drops a piano on a zombie. Priceless. And as we progress through the story, we then come across some of the dialogue in here, which is now no single piece of dialogue, in my opinion, is absolutely earth shattering. No, the the writing for this movie is kind of middle of the road. Yeah. I mean, the banter is good. Uh, but we've got a couple of amusing lines here and there. After the girls take their truck and weapons, they do find a Hummer full of guns. At which point Tallahassee is like, thank God for rednecks. Which is kind of an amusing moment for me anyway. I really thought it was funny. The But the best line in the entire movie is... Well, we're getting a little ahead of, our, ahead of ourselves here, but as Bill Murray is laying dying... Because Bill Murray decided it would be a good idea to zombie prank a couple of people who have been instinctively trained by the apocalypse to shoot zombies and also had guts. But, what's it say? They ask him if he has any regrets. Garfield, maybe? Yeah. Which is hilarious. Now... In Bill's defense and the two characters that set him up to do the prank, in their defense... They were stoned out of their mind. And of course, as they were puffing the reefer, what do we have? Don't fear the reaper. Who calls it reefer? Seriously. The reefer, man. What What are you, like 80? Got a problem with some reefer? Just need to get you the right kind, man. Disclaimer, it is legal in our area. Just, Do you even vape, bro? 
No, it's expensive. I'm too poor for that, legal or not. So, of course, Bill Murray dies, and they throw him over the wall. Purell, anyone? Yeah, please. And then, of course, Wichita starts getting a little too close to uh, Columbus, and they get interrupted, and she realizes how close she's getting to Columbus and panics and does the whole takes off with her sister thing. So they can go to Pacific Playland. Oh, although that did set up what is my actual number one favorite line in the whole movie. Like some blocking fucking government robot built in a fucking government lab. Because, of course, as they were about to kiss, Tallahassee comes in and interrupts them, demanding help moving a sofa. We're building a fort. Which, again, the characterizations were great. It was actually a lot of fun watching Wichita start to grow on, on Columbus and Little Rock and Tallahassee kind of start developing this not-quite-father-daughter-but-you-can-kind-of-see-it-from-here thing. Yeah. But, of course, they realized what was happening, panicked, and bolted to Pacific Playland, which is where we get our climax of the film, where not only did we turn on all the lights and sounds at an amusement park at night during the zombie apocalypse. We did so without even securing the gate that we rammed open with our car to get in here. Brilliant move. Yeah. I mean, despite all the rules and everything, everybody in this movie is still an idiot. And we should know we're professional idiots. This is true. This of course attracts a horde of zombies and Columbus and Tallahassee end up going after them, and as they approach, realize what's happening and intercede to prevent, you know, om nom nom of the sisters. And all in all, the action sequences and everything are relatively satisfying. It's Woody Harrelson had way too much fun with that role, especially in the Pacific Playland sequence. Absolutely. And... So I guess in closing here, I, well, primarily a comedy with the zombie apocalypse as a backdrop, the movie does include genuine character arcs and themes of finding yourself and those you can trust. Yeah, it's, it is exactly what it needs to be. It really is. It's, it's exactly what it says on the tin. It's a comedy zombie movie, but it does go a little bit deeper than that, and this isn't some movie that you know i i don't think it really won any awards or anything like that but it's a good solid movie yeah it's a decent comedy it's a decent zombie movie and it's a decent zombie comedy movie which are all three very different things and it does manage to check all those boxes yeah is this the greatest zombie movie ever no as we said before it definitely is not but it is a good one So actually, before we finish, I do have one more question. What's that? You gotta wonder what Tallahassee did for a living before the apocalypse, because, like, his skill set is just bananas. It's obvious. He was a Grammaton cleric. Not a very good one, apparently. I mean, he just wanted a Twinkie, man. You know, Twinkie's not really good right now. Hmm. This episode not sponsored by Hostess, but, um... Call us. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to Two Idiots and a Dog. 
If you like what we do, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash media. That's T-I-A-A-D media, all one word. If you want to send kaiju fan mail or reach out to the idiots for anything, you can email us at T-I-A-A-D media at gmail.com. Again, that is T-I-A-A-D media at gmail.com. You can also join us on Discord. Links can be found on Patreon, in our email signature, and on our SoundCloud page. We would also like to give a special thank you to all of our patrons on Patreon. Especially these idiots. Random Warrior and Rain. If you want to hear your name included here, you can support us at the Honorary Idiot tier on Patreon. 